Well, today we are going to be starting our new series called So in Love. So in Love. Why? Because this is the love month. This is where we have Valentine's. And I want to talk about how can a loving God do that in the great, in the great words of the prophet and minstrel Meatloaf. He said, I would do anything for love, but I want to. Thank you. So you already know about that song, right? Meatloaf. Who calls himself Meatloaf? I don't know. Maybe he was hungry. But I believe that, I believe that it's important for us to understand what the love of God is like. And most of us take it from a scripture that was all very famous, and it's called John 3.16, and I bet you most of you could actually quote this. At least you've seen it at an NFL game, right, with someone holding it with a funny color hair, and they always have John 3.16 on it. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Who knows this off by heart, right? Everybody knows this. This is basically the, the core and the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? This is really important. I even remember, you've heard so many preachers who have actually probably preached from this. The most famous would be Billy Graham. And recently, about quite a few years ago, I had actually uh, listened to a, spe- a preacher about this and he talked about how the soul love of God, the soul love of God, God so loves us. It's like a father or a mother that loves their child so much. It's not that the child is necessarily always lovable, but you so love that child. And if you've got children, you'll know how that feels. I remember when my second child was born and my wife was not happy with me, not that she was pregnant or anything, she was not happy with me when my second child was born because I had been fasting that week and, and apparently if you go a couple of days without food, you get lightheaded. And so when the child was about to come forth into the world, my, my spawn was coming out into the world, suddenly I'm sitting there and I faint, Right? Not a good idea. My wife was not happy because then the nurses are tending to me rather than to her giving giving birth to this pickled child, right? So I'm awake, I'm awake, I'm here, I'm here. And then my tooth fell out. Strange times, right? And I'm like, I am paying a lot of price to have this child right now. This is really hard for me, I felt. So anyway, you've got this child and you just fall in love with this child and you're in soul in love with this child. Until they start doing things that make you go, this is really hard work, right? They're throwing up on stuff. They're, they're complaining about things. They're, they're doing things that I don't want them to do. I remember my next door neighbor, his five-year-old son came out and said, Dad, can I help you wash the car? And he's washing the car. And he's like, absolutely, come and just get the other side, son. So his son picks up a rock, puts it in the water, and then washes the side of the car with the rock. And yet, our children do these crazy things, and we're still so in love with them, right? I so love you as just a little child, just a wonderful child. And children make our lives difficult. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And yet what's happening, I, have, I believe, is over the years that people are becoming disillusioned with God because they don't understand a couple of things. They can't understand if God so loves the world, then why is it he would let certain problems exist? Let me give you two of these problems. If God so loves the world and so loves us, then how is it that a God who is so loving, why does he allow suffering in the world? Why does he allow all the bad things that happen? Maybe you can personalize that. I was in Home Depot yesterday. I was speaking with a lady who actually works there and she's, uh, she was from Venezuela 
And I was chatting with her, my wife and I were chatting with her for a while, and, uh, and she was just talking about how she has a child who's nine months old, and she lost her husband six months ago to a heart attack. And I'm like, oh my God, I am so, so oh my goodness. And I was just so shocked, and she said, it's okay, God's got, God's got our lives in his hands. And I'm like, wow, that is awesome, because she would have the right to be able to say, if God so loves me, then why would he let me go through suffering? Here's the second challenge that we have with this soul-loving God is this. If God is so loving, then why does he send anyone to hell? And there are even many people who are deciding that hell no longer exists. I know it talks about it in the Bible, but it's only just a warning and a threat. It's really not going to happen. It's a bit like a parent saying, I'm going to count to three, and if you don't stop doing that, then trouble's going to come your way. And you go, one, two, three, you better stop doing that. And you start threatening your child, but you never actually follow through with it because you're just so loving with with your children. And we have this problem with God that if he is so loving, then why would he let these things happen? I'm gonna give you a quick few statistics. I could give you tons because I love stats, right? But let me give you just a couple here. When we're talking about the love of God, there's a phrase that often comes up and it's called the unconditional love of God. Have you heard that before? The unconditional love of God. There's no condition. He went ahead and gave us his son, but there's not one place in the Bible that it says unconditional love of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever use that phrase. Here's the next stat that I think is really interesting. There are 35,000 verses in the Bible, K means thousand, 35,000 verses in the Bible and only 35 of them mention the love of God. If God is so loving, where is all this love in the scripture? In the first five books, which is the Pentateuch that is the most important books to the Jews, there is only one mention about the love of God but there's no other mention inside of those books. Even in the prophets, even, in the, in, in, even in, the, in the Psalms, there's very little about the love of God. Even if you read in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's nothing about the love of God. Go into the epistles. There are very, very few places that ever mentions about the love of God. There's only one person who talks about it so much, and that is John, which is why we have this, John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So if this is where we're getting our idea of what the love of God is all about, then let's pull this scripture apart and find out what does it really mean. And if you listen to me last time, you'll always remember that I say this, that you have to look at the exact context of the text in order to understand it, because a text that's taken out of context is a pretext as we understand so a couple of, couple of things I want to ask. Number one, who wrote this? Well, it was John. Who was he writing to? John was writing to Christians. Wasn't actually writing to non-Christians. And yet this is what we use to try and tell people about God. Right? But he was actually writing about two non-Christians. And he was writing about a conversation that Jesus was having with a priest who should have known about the love of God, who should have known about the ways of God. But Jesus had to make things clearer to them in order for them to understand. John keeps on, as as Dr. Crystal was saying the other week, that John had to approach a group of people who were Christians who were finding that their faith was starting to wane. They were starting to lose their belief in who Jesus was. And John went, well, let me do something about this. Let me explain who Jesus is. Let me explain that he is both God and he is both man. 
because they were starting to lose their faith in who Jesus was and the ver veracity of what he had. Remember that I said a couple of weeks ago, that's even happening in our world right now. Just last year, 4,000 churches shut down. In 2019, I read that three and a half thousand churches were actually planted in 2019. The very same year, another 4,000 churches shut down. Last year, 20,000 pastors stepped down from the ministry. That is amazing. Are we losing our faith? Are we losing our calling? Are we losing our understanding of what God has called us to be? I believe there are some fundamentals of our faith that we have to be clear about in order to know how to overcome the challenges that are coming our way. And if we're not clear about those things, we're going to get taken out by some disillusionment, some discouragement, some distraction, some division that happens in the church. Just as Dr. Crystal was talking about last week, are you discouraged? Are you, are you dismayed? Are you disillusioned? Are you distracted? Are you finding there's division in your heart? We have to be clear about what we are about. Why are we doing this? So there are several words that jump out to me when I'm looking at this pivotal scripture. And the first one is this. It's the word for right here. And as we already talked about before, whenever you see the word for or the word therefore, you have to go back before it in order to understand what the therefore is there for or what the for is there for, right? You have to read it before but we don't often do it. We just quote what was going on. So now that you all know this and you know it all off by heart, does anyone know what John chapter three verses 14 and 15 says? Anyone know it off by heart? Anyone? No. You see how we as a church don't really know what the verses say before it. We don't understand the context. Let's talk, let's go have a read about it. It says this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Can you imagine that scripture on a billboard at the NFL games? It's not quite as inspiring anymore, right? But this gives us the context of the for God so loved the world. Because the for is based on everything that's going on here. Well, what's going on here is describing a story of what happened when God released the Israelites from the, the trap of slavery under the Israelites. And when Moses went in there, it was Charlton Heston, and he let my people go, and he led them out into the desert, and they went into the desert, and they were gonna go through the desert, and they were gonna go to the promised land, and God said, I want this to be my people. I want them to worship me, and he led them into the desert. Well, things didn't always seem to go so well, right? Has anyone ever done that? You've taken your children to Disneyland, and you think it's gonna be absolutely a bed of roses, gonna be absolutely wonderful, and then your children start to complain. Plain. Has anyone ever had that before? And then this cracking demon comes out of your mouth and goes, I'm going to kill this child that's complaining about how much money I spent. Do you know how much time and money I spent? How hard I worked to get you to Disney? And you're just complaining about your heart. Your heart? Get that ice cream cost me a kidney to be able to get that ice cream. It's not happened to me. I'm just describing a story I've heard about. And here we are. Now, let's go back to then, where did this story come from? It comes from Numbers chapter 21. And it says this, the Jews traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread here, there's no water 
and we detest this miserable substitute quinoa food that you keep giving us. I don't want this type of food. I want hamburgers and I want fries. I want stuff. Have you ever been in that position where you have seen people just complain, right? I've been in that position where I have been a complainer as well. But impatience basically says this, I deserve better. That's what impatience says. Impatience says, I deserve better. It then puts you into a position where you start having an offense against God and you take your complaints to him and say, you're the one who can fix this. You're the one who can change this and you're not doing it. I demand an answer. Why aren't you changing this? Why did you let this happen to me? Has anyone ever, ever asked that question? Maybe just me. Maybe just me. Then it goes on. It says, then the Lord sent venomous snakes. Oh, so love you. So love you. Is this the God that was just being referred to? John 3, 16, that was saying, he so loved the world, he sent some venomous snakes. I'm like, that's my type of God. Because a couple of times I've wanted to send some venomous snakes myself. My type of God. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. I'm like, get it on. I'll say, if you, if you cross me, son, daughter, I will send a venomous snake towards you. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against. Oh, now you want to say you sin. Oh, now you're sorry. I get this. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. <laughs> Does this sound like a descriptive loving God that we were all talking about just recently? The thorough love of God, right? That doesn't make any sense to me. Then it goes on, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, watch now, make a snake and put it up on a pole and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. What? Is this rolled in glitter or something? What's going on here? Why would you tell them to actually make a snake and then say everyone will look at it and that's how they'll, they'll get saved? So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Well, thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for making a bronze snake. But this is what Jesus is referring to when he's saying in the same way as the snake was raised up to bring salvation to everyone, the same thing will happen when the Father raises me up on a pole, raises me up on a cross, and then when anyone looks at me and accepts me, then they shall be saved. Here's the question I have, is why didn't God just relent? Why didn't you just go, abracadabra, let's just fix everything. You said you're sorry, I'm sorry, we're all sorry together. Let's just hug and kiss and make up. I'll get rid of the snakes. Why didn't you just get rid of the snakes? That seems to make more sense to me why God should just get rid of the snakes. The problem with that type of question is that the question implies that they deserved better. They didn't deserve better. The real question should be, why didn't God send more than snakes? Why did he stop with snakes? The point is, God makes a way to escape judgment. Judgment of what? Of sin. This is the issue that God is trying to deal with. He's not trying to deal with the issue of our comfortability. He's not trying to deal with the issue of, do you feel loved? He's trying to deal with the issue of sin. You see, sin precludes you from having the right of spending an eternity with Him and having life eternal. 
sin means that we should actually have nothing, that we get to go spend time and alone for eternity without God, without life, and we live in a hell. That's what it's about. When you realize that you don't deserve anything because of your sin, then you start to understand what God was doing here. The next word that I see in John 3, 16 is for God so loved the world. For, in the same way, for God so loved the world. We've taken this word so and we've made it into I just so love you. I have a quantity of love for you. But that word really means this. For God, in the same way, loved the world. In the same way. In the same way that he found a way to rescue the children of Israelites in the desert. In the same way, he has found a way and opened up a way for us to escape this judgment as well. And then the next word that we have to look at is the word love. For God, in the same way, loved the world. And I think this is where many Christians have tripped over, tripped up for over many, many years. Because we've started to translate this word love as a lovey-dovey type of thing. Now, just in the same way, you know, the, the Eskimos have like 50 words for the word ice. The Greeks have actually have five words for the word love. So in order to understand what this means, we have to look at what does this word love actually mean? So let me look at the five nerdy Greek words for love here, right? So just follow me here closely as much as you can. And if you're really not into this, shut down and I'll tell you when we're back online and you can come back up again, okay? First one is this, addiction love, epithemia. For God so addictively loved the, the world that he gave his only begotten son. Is that what it means? No, it's not. That's not the word that's used here. Okay, what's the next word? The next word is attraction love. Attraction love comes from the word, is, is the word eros in Greek. That's where we get our word erotic. It's a sensual, it's a sexual love. For God so sensually loved the world that he gave his begotten son. Is that the word? No, that's not it. Okay, what's number three? The third one is association love. You'll notice I'm using all A's, right? So you can remember things, right? Association love. Association love is storge. Storge is a familial love. It's, it's, it's the love that you have when you look at a child or uh, your own child or someone who's from your clan or from your people, your people type. The association love. For God was so had such association love for the world that he gave his only begotten son. No, he didn't look at the world and went, they look just like me. We were unlovable. We were in sin, it says. All right, well, let's go to number four. Uh, just as a clue, it's not number four, but it's affection love. This is the one that most of us believe it is. For God has so much affection love. That's filial love. That's brotherly love. That's give and take. You give me love, I give you love. There was no give and take when it came to God. Is it this affection love? Most of us look at it and think, it's God has so much affection for us that he, that he gave his only begotten son. Here's the news, unless you've not figured this out yet. That's not it. The word he uses is agape love. That is action love. Action love is where someone is making a choice to love you when you don't deserve it. That's what action love is. This is the highest form of love. Why? Because it's a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an association. It's not an attraction. It's not even an addiction. It's a choice. God has chosen to love us. So it changes the way we actually read this. This is especially true when there is no affection involved. 
Years ago when Crystal and I first got married, we lived in this little house, tiny little house, very old 1950s house, a little bit junky, but you know, hey, it was our, our first love pad, right? And that's where we lived. But we lived right behind these really expensive houses that were right on Bear Lake. And for some reason, they didn't like seeing us or looking at our little love pad right there, right? And so I remember the guy who we had to share the driveway with, he never gave us any time of day, never gave us any attention. I tried to speak with him, nothing. He was just a grumpy old fellow. And I just, I just didn't like him. I'm like, you don't like me? I don't like you. Then one day we decided to throw a party, right? Because we're the cool kids in town. So we're throwing a party and apparently someone had parked on his little strip of grass on his little side of the driveway and he was upset and he came over banging on the door. Your party is ruining my yard. It could have broken a sprinkler system. And I said, well, if it has broken a sprinkler system, please let me know and I'll get it fixed. And he goes, I want that car moved now. Fine, okay, someone moved the car. I was embarrassed in front of everybody because it just looked like I was the guy getting shouted at. So the next day, I was feeling a little grumpy about this guy. And I felt God say, see his trash cans at the end of the driveway? Oh, yeah, I see them. Kick them over. Is that what you're going to tell me to do? Send them some snakes. I am ready, Jesus. No, take him back up a driveway, take it to his house. I'm like, heck No. I don't want to do that. That guy doesn't deserve any type of love whatsoever. Yeah, that's not what I'm asking you to do. That's what I'm telling you to do. I'm not asking you to feel love. I'm telling you to do something. You see, the word agape is the only word that can be commanded. It's the only word that can be commanded. So I'm like, fine, I'm not doing it with joy. Put it up and I'm like, ha he's going to think this is weird. He doesn't know what's going on. Something transported these trash can away up to the door. So the next week I saw it out there and I knew that God was saying, do it again. Like, ah, yeah, yeah. Pulling this thing up and I'm pulling the trash can up. And it happened week after week and it got to the point where this is now comedic. This is funny for me, God. I, he doesn't know what's going on. He's not home yet. I'm gonna do this as much as possible. And I did it for like a year. I just dragged his trash can up and he still didn't know who was taking his can up. Maybe he got some cameras, I don't know, but he never said thank you, never did anything. The point is this, we're called to do the love of God, not to feel the love of God. We're commanded to do it. Why is that so important? Because it goes on, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why is that so important? It's because John was seeing people losing their belief in God. The belief is not even believe once. It actually means go on believing. And only that whoever goes on believing in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's a continual lifestyle that we have to live in to constantly love people who are not lovable. Therefore, John 13 is not about unconditional love. It's about the goodness of God. So let me redefine what love is for you. God is so good, he made a way for us to be saved when we didn't deserve it. This is his love. That's the love of God. And that is it. So if you've ever felt disappointed by God, if you've ever felt like you deserve something just a little bit more, you have to understand there is no New Testament writer who ever said that you should feel the love of God. 
They have said, God is good. You don't deserve it. You deserve judgment and justice on your life. But because he's so good, he made a way to bring you back into relationship with him. Why does this matter so much? The first one is this, because there's so many who get disillusioned when you think that you deserve something more, when you deserve unconditional love. The reality is you deserve the snakes that should be sent to you. You deserve to be bitten, but his mercy is such that he is a good God and he's made a way. The second reason why I think this is so important is this. The story you live in is the story you live out. What you believe is how you're going to act. If you believe you deserve something better, then you're going to act like you deserve something better. If you don't believe that you deserve any mercy from God, then you're going to have the mercy for other people. Jesus had so many stories and so many parables when he told this. We had stories about people who were asking for mercy and he gave them mercy and then they went out and they treated people badly. We all have heard these stories. This is the fundamental foundation of our lives as Christians, that if we are waiting to feel loved, you won't live love. You have to know that you have been given mercy and goodness by God. Father, this morning, I pray that as we are having a new revelation this month of what love is and how it looks, I pray today that every person here will know a new revelation of what they really deserve and what they don't deserve so that they can align themselves again with the God of the universe who is gracious to us, who is merciful to us, and who is loving in a way that was completely different from what we have been demanding from you. Father, today, we're asking for your mercy, your forgiveness. Once again, we ask this in your precious son's name and all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.